And today I want to begin a study uh, for several weeks as we look through this very important book in our New Testament. It's a short book. It may be hard to find, uh, written by Paul to these churches in Galatia, but a very important book. It's unusual for a couple of reasons. Uh, One is that it varies from Paul's normal pattern of writing to churches. Uh, When Paul wrote these letters, these epistles to churches, generally he would begin by introducing himself and then he would brag on the church. He would say to the church uh, how he thanked God for them and he would call out some of their characteristics, some, some of their achievements or commitments that were particularly good. But when he writes the letter to the churches at Galatia, he does none of that. Uh, He introduces himself and then he just immediately launches into this attack. Paul is angry. Paul is on the war path. You'll see that over the next few weeks as we work through the book. Uh, Paul raises the alarm and he says, shame on you. Uh, those Christians in the churches of Galatia. In fact, if you've opened your Bible to Galatians, look at chapter one, verse six. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He, He says there, I'm amazed at how quickly you've abandoned the message that I've given you. If you turn over a page in your Bible, chapter three, Verse one, just as an example, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? He says, you've just gone off the deep end. Who has confused you? Who's cast a spell on you? If you look at verse three of that same chapter, he says, are you so foolish And when we get to the study of chapter three, you will learn there how strong a language the apostle Paul uses. He says, are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit? Are you now finishing with the flesh? In chapter five, Paul actually tells some people in uh, the churches that they should emasculate themselves. Can't you wait till we get to chapter five? Paul is pretty angry uh, at uh, at these Christians Uh, in the churches and the regions of of Galatia, and so he writes this angry letter. Now, what was Paul so upset about? Well, these Christians were doing something that I'm afraid is very common with Christians today, and what they were doing was causing all kinds of heartache. It was causing them to feel guilt and condemnation that they should not feel. It caused them to have frustration in their Christian lives. And the same things then cause the same problems today. In fact, I think one of the primary reasons that people walk away from the church, one of the primary reasons people leave the faith is because because they've embraced what the Galatians embraced. They get the same thing wrong that the people in the churches in Galatia got wrong, and it causes the same problem. There are so many people in Nacogdoches that five years, 10 years, 30 years ago uh, had made a, a decision for Christ, were involved in church, who were committed, but now Christianity has been a disappointment to them. They're frustrated. It, it's lost its joy, and so they've, they've walked away. Why is that? Well, that's what has happened in Galatia, and that's what Paul addresses 
in this, uh, in this very important book. So what specifically uh, was happening there? What was the specific problem? Well, we saw it right there in verse 6. It said that they had turned to a different gospel. Now, this doesn't mean they turned to some pagan worship. They weren't worshiping Zeus, something like that. Uh, but they had slightly changed the gospel and they had made it something completely different. Now, listen to that. They had slightly changed the gospel, but in doing so, they had made it something completely different. That's the thing about the gospel. If you make changes to the gospel, even if you think they are minor changes, you will make it something completely different. Now, what is the gospel? I should address that. The gospel is simply the way a person becomes right with God. How is it that we can become right with God? And if you begin to tinker with that, then you make something, you create something that is completely different from what, what God would have us, have us to know. And so that's what we're going to study here in the book of Galatians. We're going to spend uh, probably right up to Easter. We're going to spend nine or ten weeks right here in the book of Galatians. Uh, today we're going to get an introduction it's hard to preach just from beginning to end. Others have done it, but it's hard to preach uh, just verse or two at a time all the way through Galatians because the first five chapters of Galatians really just has one message. It's one message. Paul says it over and over. He illustrates it different ways. He introduces different nuances to the message with each few verses, but it's really just one message in the first five chapters. The whole book is only six chapters. Now in chapter six, there are a number of truths that we will, uh, that we will study and that we will learn, but how do you handle the first five? And so I could preach a sermon and try to cover everything in chapters one through five in one sermon. And that would, that would be a lot. You'd be here until the Super Bowl started, and we would still have to leave things out. So that's probably not the best approach for me this morning. The other approach is I could divide these chapters up into about seven or eight messages, but, but that would be unsatisfying because you would get just a small slice of this, of this single message that Paul is trying to communicate, and it wouldn't be helpful. It wouldn't be satisfying. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to give you an overview. I'm really going to give you the message for all of the first five chapters. And then over the next few weeks, we will go back and we'll walk through the book and see how Paul explains this uh, in much more detail, how he adds richness to this. But I say that to let you know this. You may, at the end of this message, feel like there has got to be more to that than what that pastor said. Uh, there, there's got to be something more. That seems so incomplete. Now, you would be right and wrong. First of all, there is more. That's why uh, we're going to spend several more weeks on this. But in another sense, there will not be any more. You see, the gospel is amazingly simple and profound. And when we just make a very simple presentation of the gospel today, you, you may be surprised at just how simple it is. And you may think, well, certainly in the next few weeks, there's going to be a catch to this. I mean, he's presented something that is just wonderfully good news, but there's got to be a catch. In all of the details of chapters one through five, there must be a catch. And I'm telling you, there's not. There, there's more for us to learn, but, but what we'll hear today, just the simple presentation of this amazing gospel, this is 
all there is. It's just that wonderful. So let's begin in chapter one and, and read the first nine verses. Galatians chapter one, the passage begins, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now just a little background, Galatia is the area between, I guess the Black Sea and the Mediterranean. Uh, we would call it Turkey today, sort of the central part of Turkey. Uh, it would be Iconium. Uh, Derby, Lystra, Antioch, all of those little cities there. And so this letter was written to all of the churches uh, that were in those cities. Paul had just finished his first missionary journey. It's probably about 49 AD. And he had visited these areas. Churches had been started. And so he now writes a letter back to these churches uh, for this course correction. Now he does say that he is an apostle and, that, and that's something that we should at least spend some time on. What is an apostle? Well, the word apostle is used two different ways in the New Testament, sometimes to talk to about a specific group of people and sometimes in a very general sense. Now the word, the, uh, the original language, the Greek word apostle just means one who is sent. And we're all sent, right? We're all sent to go and share the good news. So in that sense, we're all apostles. But what Paul means when he says that he is an apostle, he is one of the very few people that God has commissioned to be these special ambassadors for Christ, to be the writers of the New Testament. There were just a handful of them. And so he is one of those. There were some qualifications to be an apostle. First, you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. And so that's, that's, that limits who all can be uh, an apostle. And then secondly, you had to be specifically commissioned by Christ uh, to be an apostle. And so Paul was one of the very few people. There are no apostles with a capital A. There are no apostles today. We have the testimony of the apostles in the Bible. So we don't need apostles today. Their purpose was to share with us the good news, and it has been once for all delivered to the saints, as the Bible said, and here it is. So he's an apostle. Now, I want you to notice something else in these first two verses. He speaks to the gospel. I told you the gospel is the way in which a person becomes right with God. And even in the first two verses, Paul mentions what that is. He says, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. He was resurrected and he, through his death and resurrection, provides a way for us to be right with God. Now look at verse three, grace to you and peace from God, the father, our Lord Jesus Christ. And here he says the gospel again who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Why did we need to be rescued? Because the wages of sin is death. Sin separates us from God. Sin will lead to death, eternal death for every person except for what Christ has done. So who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever Amen. 
So that's the beginning of the letter. Paul introduces himself, uh, always mentions the gospel. Now he gets to the, to the point of his note. Verse 6, I am amazed. And so he's surprised uh, that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He is amazed both that they would turn to a different gospel, a different way of getting right with God, and he is amazed that they would do so so quickly. By the way, you're going to see in a moment, the same thing happens to us. We turn away from the gospel. We hear it faithfully preached, but we turn away from the gospel, and often we do so very quickly. Verse 7. Not that there is another gospel. Not that there is another way. There's only one way to have a right relationship with the Father. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. Paul's serious about this. He says, if anybody tries to tinker with the gospel, no matter who it is, no matter their reputation, no matter how well they speak, not even if they are an angel, you reject what they say because the gospel cannot be tinkered with. Verse nine, as we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Now, what was the specific gospel, this false teaching, this heresy that was causing all of these problems? Well, there were a group of people, and we're going to learn a lot more about this in the week to, weeks to come, a group of people called the Judaizers who had come into the church after Paul left. Uh, you read about this in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And these teachers, these Judaizers, they taught this different gospel. They said that, yes, you come to Christ, you are saved, you are forgiven by putting your trust, your faith in God, and through his grace and his mercy. We're saved by the grace and mercy of God because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So they would agree with that. But then they would say, and, or maybe they would say, then, you need to follow a bunch of rules. If you're going to have a right relationship with God, you need to start with Jesus. They would agree with that part. But you also, if you're going to continue to have a right relationship with God, you need to follow these rules. And they had a bunch of rules. Now, their rules primarily uh, had something to do with the Jewish dietary restrictions and with circumcision. And they said, if you're going to continue to be right with God, this is why the people in Galatia were so frustrated because they weren't doing so well with the dietary laws and with circumcision. This was a real, real point of contention. And so they were frustrated. They felt uh, guilty. They felt condemnation before the Lord because these people said, if you're going to be right with God, you have to start with Jesus, but then you have to follow all of these rules. Now you might be thinking, well, pastor, that's interesting, but that didn't have anything to do with me. I mean, I'm with you. I, I enjoy a piece of bacon and some fried catfish as much as anybody, right? So the Jewish dietary laws, not something that we, that we hold to. And uh, circumcision, just to be honest, is not often a table topic at my house. So how, how could you say, Pastor, that what they were going through, we're going through it as well? Well, for this reason. 
we don't have the same rules. Nobody's running around saying you can't have a pulled pork sandwich, but, but the same principle is true. Oftentimes we think, and this isn't from something you've heard, this is just human nature. We think that while we started with Jesus, to stay right with God, to stay on good terms with God, for God to continue to be pleased with us, we now have to keep a whole list of rules. And, and these rules, sometimes I have a good week and sometimes I have a bad week. And when I have a bad week, I think God's angry at me. I'm separated from God. There's some problem between me and God. God is no longer pleased with me because I think that while I started with Jesus, I now have to finish uh, through, my, through my own effort. Uh, we believe often the very same thing that they believe. Look, look back at Galatians 3, 3. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning with the spirit, you're now finishing with the flesh. After starting your Christian life with Jesus and trusting God and, and uh, whosoever will may come and God forgives all of your sins, starting with Jesus, you've now taken over the responsibility of living to the standard of God, and that's what you think earns your acceptance before the Lord. That was the problem they were facing, and so they were frustrated. They couldn't keep the standard. I think people today, some who are genuine Christians, are frustrated, and they've walked away from the church, and they've walked away from the Lord because they can't uphold the standard, and so they've just quit, and they don't have the understanding that Paul wanted the people in Galatia uh, to have. So let me do this. Let's talk for a few minutes about why the gospel really is good news. Now the gospel means good news. So I know there's some redundancy here, but, but the gospel, the way that we become right with God, this pathway God has given to us, how is the gospel really good news? Well, let me share with you two things. First of all, because your goodness and your best efforts are worthless for salvation. Is that surprising at least a little bit? Uh, we ought to at least marvel at that because our goodness and our best efforts are worthless for salvation. Do you know, do you understand that we are completely hopeless in our sin apart from Christ? That there's, that there's nothing good in us at all. That, that that, that there's nothing that, that God is impressed with in us. That, that everything we have is, even the very best parts of us are as filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. Do you know that? I think sometimes we struggle to, 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 really, to really appreciate that. So, so let me try to illustrate it this way. And I don't want to cheapen salvation, the most wonderful thing that there is uh, that God offers to us. But let me compare it for a moment uh, to a touchdown because it's Super Bowl Sunday. We've got to do that, right? And so if you know anything about football, the goal is to score a touchdown. And so to score a touchdown, you have to cross the goal line, the field, 100 yards uh, from goal line to goal line, and you've got to cross the goal line to score a touchdown. Now, if salvation is a touchdown, what yard line did you start on? How far down the field did you get and how far down the field did God have to get you? Does that question make sense? You see, some of us think 
that we probably made it at least halfway down the field. That by our good works, by our kindness, by our efforts, we probably made it at least to midfield. And so we did need God to save us, but all we really needed God to do was to get us the other half of the way. We got halfway by our goodness, but God got us the other half of the way. Well, if that's what you think, then you have no real understanding of the depravity that is you. You have no real understanding of of your sin. You didn't get halfway and God finished it. No, you didn't get any of the way. God got you the entire way through Jesus Christ on the cross. Now you might think, well, pastor, I don't sin as bad as some people. And I know people who sin so much worse than I do. Well, oftentimes that has as much to do with exposure and opportunity and peer groups as it does anything else. You know, you know, maybe some of the reasons I've not committed some sins is I've just not really had the opportunity to commit those sins. I've not really been a, 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 among a group of people who thought it was a good idea. I've been in different peer groups, been exposed to different things. But the Bible says that there's sin within all of us and that all of us are fully separated, completely separated from God. Now, let me show that to you in Romans chapter 3. And you can turn there or I'll just read either one. Romans chapter three, verse nine, he says, what then are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. Now, when he says Jews and Gentiles, he's talking about those who are pretty good at keeping the rules and those who didn't keep the rules. And he says, it really doesn't make a difference because both are, are, are so separated from God because of their sin They're both separated from God. And then he goes on to say, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All likewise have become worthless. And there is no one who does what is good, not even one. But we often think that, you know, I started on the 50-yard line, and so I needed Jesus to get me the rest of the way. Now, I think of some you know, maybe some, uh, some people I know probably started back on the 40 yard line, right? I mean, you think of somebody, you know, if I started on the 50, they had a lot further. Jesus had to work a lot harder to get those people saved. I mean, you think about, you know, your uncle or your friend or, or somebody you work with and you think, you know, they were a lot further back. And then, then you think about a drug dealer. Now he's even further back than that. I mean, God really had to work to get him saved. And uh, maybe a Muslim or, or maybe you think somebody who's guilty of homosexuality. I mean, God really had to work to get those people saved, right? Or, or maybe you think of a molester or a violent criminal. Boy, they started on the zero. God had to do it all for them, but not so for me. I mean, I made it halfway and God just had to finish it. No, no. We all started at zero. We all had to go the whole way. God had to, through Christ, bring us all the way. See, our best efforts and our goodness are worthless uh, for, for our salvation. Uh, let, me, let me read to you Romans 3, 27 and 28. I'm going to read it to you in a different version. Just It's so simple. I want you to hear this. He says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, we can't boast that we've done anything, that we've made it any other way down the field. No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's not based on us doing well on a a rule or two. It is based on faith. 
So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. You know, the only thing I've contributed, uh, Martin Luther said, the only thing I've contributed to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And so when we ask why is the, why is the gospel, why is it really good news? Well, first of all, because our goodness and our best efforts are worthless for salvation. What Christ has done is sufficient to get us all the way there. Now, the second thing is maybe more surprising than the first. Uh, the gospel is good news because salvation is not about God giving you a second chance. Is God a God of second chances? You know, we hear that. I've probably said that a few times. Is God a God of second chances? Well, yes and no, but mostly no. So it, it depends on what you mean. If you mean that no matter how far you've gone, how much you have rebelled, how terrible is your sin, that God's still willing to save you and Christ's sacrifice on the cross is still sufficient to forgive your sins. Yes, if that's what you mean, yes, God is the God of second chances. But if you mean by this that God gave us a second chance to get our lives right when he saved us, then you're wrong. God is not a God of second chances. God has not just given me, when I, when I was saved, when I was forgiven, God was not simply giving me a second chance to get my life right. He wasn't just clearing the slate and saying, okay now, do better from here on out. You see, I didn't need a second chance. If God would have given me a second chance, I would have messed it up just as quickly as I messed up the first chance. And I would have messed up the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance. Do you understand this? We don't need a second chance. We need something far greater than that. And that's what God gives to us in Christ. Not just a, not just a second chance, but, but, but here's what the people in Galatia needed to know, that God, God gives us uh, 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 grace and forgiveness that last a lifetime. That's where they struggled, and that's where we struggle. They thought that God forgave them uh, when they accepted Christ, that God forgave them and gave them a second chance, and now it was up to them. So let's look at it this way. How, if you think of the beginning of your uh, of, of your walk with Christ. What did you do to get right with God, with the Father? What did you do to, to have a right relationship with God? Well, most of you uh, would, would answer correctly. Uh, you recognized you're guilty of sin. You put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did upon the cross, and God saved you, and God forgave you. Now, here's the here's the follow-up question that they got wrong in the church at Galatia. Now that you're a child of God, what do you do to stay right with God? What do you do to keep the, 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 the relationship with God connected and close? And they would have said, you need, to, you need to follow these rules. But what Paul is saying is that we get right with God by his grace, not our goodness, and we stay right with God by his grace, not our goodness. See, the gospel is not just how, 
how you become a Christian. The gospel, what Jesus has done, is how you continue in, in your walk with God. Your relationship has not and will not ever depend upon you keeping the rules. It depends upon what Jesus has done. You know, sometimes people will say, and I'm guilty of this, that boy, things with me and God are really strained. I really feel like because of this last week or this last month, I really feel like you know, there's a separation. I feel guilt and I I feel condemnation. I, I don't want to pray. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to sing. I, I, just, I just feel because of my, my, my sin, I feel so separated from God. Listen, no. God loves you and you're accepted, not based on whether or not you've kept the rules, but based on, it's all based on what Christ has done for you. Now, this isn't a license to sin. Is it important to keep the rules? Absolutely. We just finished a six-week message series on how to, come, how to overcome persistent sin. The Bible says that we, need to, uh, that, that we need to work out our salvation. The Bible says we need to train ourselves in godliness. The Bible says we need to discipline our bodies uh, to, to follow the commands of, of Scripture. So it is very important to be obedient, but not so as to be accepted by the Father. Because that acceptance is based on the work of Christ. You see, the Galatians and Paul had, they saw salvation in very different ways. The Galatians felt like that they had asked God to save them and forgive them, and he did, and they started even. And now that they were even, now they needed to work to keep from going in debt again. Paul saw it entirely different. Imagine this. Let's say you've got a credit card and you owe $5,000 on it that you just can't seem to pay off. You, you work on it, you pay a little extra, uh, but the interest uh, just uh, is piled up on you and you just, you struggle with it and you just, you've had $5,000 debt for years on the card. You just are frustrated about it. You owe this debt. And so let's say there are two, two wonderful things that could happen. You tell me which one you'd like to have. One is some very generous person could come along and they could just pay it. They just write a check for $5,000, send it to the bank and say, I want to take that man's credit card back to zero. I want to pay 100% of his debt. Now, would that be great? Absolutely. Somebody could just pay your debt. But there's something else that they could do. What if instead of paying your debt, they called the bank and they said, why don't you just transfer the card to my name? See, then not only is your debt taken care of today, but every charge you make from here on out it's no longer your debt, it's somebody else's debt. It's no longer your responsibility, it's somebody else's responsibility. It's, not, it's no longer you paying, it's them paying. See, what, what, what Jesus did for us, isn't this amazing? He didn't just pay our debt and get us back to even. He said, let's switch debt accounts and let my righteousness accrue to Noel and let Noel's sin accrue to me and and it is impossible now for me to incur debt with God. Isn't that wonderful? We ought to get excited about that. The debt account, my, my heavenly credit card is in Jesus' name. 
And that's what the Galatians didn't understand. They knew how a person came to know Christ, but they didn't understand what happened next. Look at it this way. When did you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Now, for me, uh, first answer that comes to mind is uh, March of 1985. I understood the gospel, convicted of my sin, called on Jesus to save me, forgive me, he did, changed my life. March 1985, long time ago. But that answer is not really correct. And your answer probably is not correct either. When did I put my faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Well, it started in March of 1985. And then I did it in April and May and June, July. In fact, I did it this morning. In fact, I did it 10 minutes ago. I'm doing it right now. You see, we we don't just put our faith in Christ at the beginning and now it's on us. No, the gospel means that every moment of my life is just as dependent upon the the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. I I I am trusting just as much now as I did in the beginning. Let me, let me show you that just specifically in Galatians 3.11. It says this, and we'll spend time on this in the weeks to come. It says, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. That means nobody is made right with God by following the rules. You're a really good rule follower. Good, good. I'm glad you are. We should all be. But that's not helping you be right with God. So he says, Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by keeping the law because what? The righteous will live by faith. Your Bible might say the just shall live by faith. The righteous, that means who are the righteous? Those people who have a right standing with God, those people who are children of God. They don't just start by faith, they will live by faith every moment. I think of the I don't think I've ever stood here and just shared my full testimony with you, but God made such a radical change in me when I trusted Christ. He forgave such terrible sins. I mean, my salvation is a miracle. And I, I'll share that one day, some of the, some of the details. That, and, and it's just a miracle, all that God forgave me. But it's not a one-time miracle. It's just as much a miracle as as I'm experiencing right now as God forgives me because the gospel is for the beginning and for every day uh, thereafter. Let me, let me explain this one more way and then I, I'll wrap up. This, but this is so important that we learn it. I, I hope I hadn't shared this with you in the last few weeks. I know I've shared this with somebody and I can't remember who. I looked in my notes. I don't think I've shared it with you. I, I, I think I just sort of stumbled across this in maybe the beginning of the year, maybe, maybe in December. But I was reading in Matthew chapter 3. And in Matthew chapter 3, we come across the story of Jesus being baptized. Uh, isn't that an unusual thing, Jesus being baptized? Why in the world did Jesus need to be baptized? And so Jesus comes to John the Baptist, who's a preacher, and uh, a lot we could say about him. But, he, but John was preaching and, and was baptizing people. And Jesus came to John to be baptized. Isn't that odd? Why is Why does Jesus need to be baptized by John? I'll be the other way around. But listen to this. Something something very unusual happens, even in this already unusual event. 
that I, I think that we just brush over. I think I've brushed over it all, all my Christian days, but it stuck out to me uh, in, in recent days. Matthew 3, 14 says, but John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me. So John recognized this is odd. Jesus, I mean, we're, the wrong person's doing the baptizing here. And Jesus answered him, allow it for now. He said, John, just, just do it. Because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. What in the world did Jesus mean when he said, John, just cool it and baptize me because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill the requirement? Hmm. Well, let's continue to read. Verse 16 says, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And then here's the verse that we know, that we're familiar with, that we love, or that we're convicted by. Verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I'll tell you how I, how I preach that, and I don't know that this is wrong, but I'll tell you how I've preached that through the years. Uh, that, that we should live the kind of life so that one day God will stand and God will say, uh, well done, my beloved son. I am well pleased. And I've prayed that prayer. God, help me to live the kind of life so that one day you will be well pleased. You will declare that you are pleased with me. But listen, I, I think I've just missed the whole application here when I've, when I've said that. God will never be well pleased with my ability to live a sinless life and live up to his standard. But Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness. You see, Jesus has, Jesus has fulfilled the righteousness that's lacking in me. Jesus said, John, I know you don't understand this, but baptize me. What I'm doing is I am fulfilling all the righteous requirements perfectly for us. He didn't fulfill them for him. Jesus wasn't fulfilling his own righteousness. There was nothing deficit. There was nothing lacking in the righteousness of Christ that needed to be fulfilled. Whose, whose righteousness was he fulfilling? My righteousness. Here's the wonderful truth. When God looks at me, what, what comes across the mind of God when he looks at Noel Deer today? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because I've done a particularly good job of keeping the rules or living up to the standard, but because Christ has fulfilled my righteousness. I, I, there's not anything I need to do for God to say, well done. God already feels that way. God already declares, well done. Not because of me. He will never declare it because of me. He declares it because Christ has fulfilled my righteousness. Isn't that good news? See, the Galatians, they messed the gospel up to their, to their own harm. They believed that you started with Jesus, Galatians 3, 3. You got a second chance, and then it was all on you. And church, I'm afraid 
that I live with those th thoughts and you live with those thoughts, we need to be reminded. And here's what, here's what is so wonderful about the book of Galatians. It is going to remind us over the next 10 weeks over and over and over that Jesus has fulfilled our righteousness. Should we follow the rules? Yes, for lots of reasons. But not so as to be right with the Father. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed for a moment. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I hope you've, even though that's not the primary focus of the message, I hope you've picked up that that's, that's where it has to begin. We have to start with Christ. You can't start with, I'm going to do better, and I'm going to turn over a new leaf, and I'm going to try harder. No, because you won't ever get there. You've got to start with Christ. Maybe this morning, what happened to me in March of 1985 can happen with you. If you'll say, Jesus, I know I'm guilty of sin, and I'm hopeless in my sin, but Jesus, what he did was enough, and I surrender to you. I trust that and surrender to you. If you'd like to make that decision, as soon as we begin to sing, you come down and just take my hand privately here and, and whisper in my ear, I have put my trust in Christ. What a glorious thing that would be today. But you know, many of us, we have put our trust in Christ, and we know it. But we also know that after starting with Christ, we're trying to finish with the flesh. That we feel this guilt and this separation from God. It keeps us from coming to church. It keeps us from singing praise. It keeps us from serving, giving, all the praying, all these things because we feel such separation. Would you just thank the Lord that not only has he paid your debt, but he has transferred the account to his name. Father, thank you that I don't just start with Jesus, but I run with Jesus and his grace every day of my life. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.